And this morning we are going to look at uh, Psalm 146. Before we do that, we're going to be uh, praying for the Spirit of God to be present and to speak to us this morning. We have a prayer up here that if that's your desire this morning, if you're coming, uh, wanting God to meet you, wanting God to speak to you, I'd invite you to join me as we pray this together. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand that understanding we may believe and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do through Christ our Lord. Amen. We're looking at Psalm 146 this morning. Uh, you should have a printout in your bulletin or you can follow along in the slides. And I'm going to invite all of you to stand with me as we read this portion of God's Word. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed low down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked... He brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of God. You may be seated. We're doing a series of summer in the Psalms. And the Psalms, uh, for, for many, I think, is a favorite in the scriptures. They're honest, they're real, they're poetic, uh, they're moving. And what's so interesting about the Psalms, I think, is that they act as a mirror when we read them. They are a mirror that we look into and we see ourselves. We see ourselves in a unique way. And I think the Psalms are so challenging is because they provoke us out of our denial, a denial that's so prevalent, especially within Christian circles. So often we don't know how to handle our emotions as Christians. Uh, we, th we think we should be joyful all the time because God is in control. God is a God of love. God is a God of peace. He has given us these things. And so when we don't put on a smile, and when we aren't joyful and cheerful people, we tend to pretend or deny or evade or act differently 
than what's underneath the surface. And, and when we read the Psalms, they expose us for what we are. John Calvin, the 16th century theologian, put it this way. The psalmists lay open their inmost thoughts and affections. Call or rather draw each of us to the examination of himself in particular, in order that none of the many infirmities to which we are subject and of the many vices with which we abound may remain concealed. This morning, we're looking at Psalm 146. Now, this is classified as a psalm of praise. And it might surprise you for, for me to say this, that I think this psalm of praise is one of the more exposing psalms that we find in the book. It's a psalm that begins with praise the Lord. You can see that if you're looking on your, your printout. The beginning and the end of the psalm, and in the Hebrew text, the phrase can be translated, hallelujah. I'm sure you've heard that word, hallelujah. Uh, the first word in Hebrew is hallelujah, which means praise. Uh, the second word, Yah, is in a, short, a, sh a shortened form of Yahweh, God, the Lord. And so when the psalmist begins the psalm with praise the Lord, praise the Lord, or hallelujah, he's exalting, exhorting us to join in this chorus of praise of Yahweh. Now, why is the psalm so exposing? Well, let me ask you, is that a reflection of you when you come to church? Or are you just bursting at the seams to praise the Lord, to proclaim hallelujah? Now, praise involves expressing approval or admiration for someone or something, if you look it up in Webster, and it says especially in public. And R.C. Sproul, a, a theologian, uh, makes the point that praising God is the essence of worship itself. That proclaiming God's goodness, announcing to the world your adoration for God is the very core of what it means to worship. And so I ask you, how's your pra praise life? Not, not how's your prayer life, <laughs> but how's your praise life? Are you a person where hallelujah flows off your tongue on a regular basis? Now, the topic of, of praise and, and, and praise of other people has, has been a popular topic over the decades uh, for uh, parents, books on parenting, uh, also uh, within the workplace for employers or managers of people. They talk about how important it is to be a person who is constantly praising. Uh, in fact, you know, some parenting books back in the day would say, you know, you need to make sure you're praising your kids all the time. Or as a manager, you need to praise your, your workers all the time. And why do you do that? Why do you want to be a person of, who praises others? Well, you want them to foster and cultivate positive characteristics. You want your kids to become a certain type of person. And so you praise them constantly. You want to improve their self-esteem. You want to encourage good behavior. 
And so you're generously praising them all the time. On a side note, it's kind of interesting. These days, when you read uh, parenting articles or books, they'll tell, they'll tell us, actually, that we praise too much. <laughs> for, for you parents, you might want to look into that. We actually praise too often. And that can be detrimental to our kids and maybe even to uh, those who work with us and under us. But the point is, we praise in order to get something in return. And I think that can be true of how we praise God. We come to church and we may praise God because we want something from Him. I wonder if that's true of you. Now, that's not the kind of praise that the psalm is talking about here. Uh, We're not exhorted to praise God in order to satisfy his demands or to appease him or to get something from him. No, the kind of praise that that is described here is a praise that just flows out of our hearts. We praise him just because. Because we love him. And that's why the psalm is so exposing, isn't it? Because we look at this psalm and we, and we, we analyze ourselves. If this truly is a mirror, we look at our own lives, we look at our own worship, and it seems to be lacking so much. It doesn't seem to describe us. So, so how do we approach this psalm? Well, I want to look at three things this morning. I want to look at our feelings. I want to look at our focus. And I want to look at our future and see what this psalm has to teach us this morning. Let's first, let's look at our feelings. Now, I want to show you a a slide here. Uh, Let's look at this slide of this glass. Now, what do you see? Now, some of you will look at this and say, well, that's a glass that is half full. full." Others of you will look at this and say, that is a glass that is Half half empty. Now, which are you? What type of personality What kind of feelings do you have? What kind of outlook do you have on life? Are you a glass half full or glass half empty kind of person? Now, when we talk about praise and being a person that praises God, I think sometimes uh, we can begin to analyze our personalities or our feelings and, and praise either comes easily or it comes very difficult. It's a very difficult thing because of just how we Look at life. I mean, look at the psalm. Look at the first two verses. Uh, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. The psalmist describes a kind of praise that isn't just going through the motions. It isn't a kind of praise that's just ritualistic. It's just words. This is something that's felt deep within him. And and, and it's flowing out of his heart. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And and so when we, we hear these words, I think the expectations we place on ourselves can be somewhat overwhelming when it comes to worship. We read this psalm and we might picture this personality type, a happy, clappy type of person, a kind of Christian that always has a smile on his face, is always upbeat, always optimistic, you know, that sings each song wholeheartedly. And it's easy to feel like this psalm was written by a glass half full type of person. 
It's interesting, I, I was listening to a sermon preached by theologian Christopher Ash. Uh, he was talking about the psalm, and he was uh, sharing honestly. He said, you know, this psalm is hard for me. It feels like an exhortation of how I'm supposed to praise God, but if I'm honest, he says, I'm a melancholic uh, person. I, you know, some might say I'm subclinically depressive. <laughs> and he said, maybe I'm just introverted and maybe I'm just self-pitying, but I'm more like Eeyore than Tigger. And so what do you do with a psalm like this when, when that's who you are? I mean, you can't, in some ways, it's, you can't change that. And so how are we to think about our feelings when we enter into a worship environment where we're told to praise the Lord and we don't feel like it? You may be in that place. I couldn't help when studying this psalm, think of Leonard Cohen's uh, powerful song, Hallelujah. I, I, I think I first heard that song when I saw Shrek for the first time in the theater. Any of you have the similar experience? That was such a gripping song in that film. It, it, it grabbed hold of me. I didn't realize that Cohen had written the song years and years beforehand. But, but what's so powerful about that song is how honest it is. Now, I wouldn't recommend it for its theology, certainly, but there's one line in it where Cohen says, love is not a victory march. It's a cold and it's a broken hallelujah. And that is so often the reality of our lives in our experiences. Now, one uh, Christian writer was talking about this song and how within our Christian subculture, Sometimes we don't appreciate a song like that that's so honest and real. In fact, uh, the writer was commenting how Marvin Olasky from uh, World Magazine, a, a Christian publication, said this song should be redone in a more Christ-honoring way. That you know, the tune was wasted uh, on the lyrics that are so brooding and angst-filled, lo a lonely ode uh, to failure. And, and this writer was saying, but that's exactly the point. That's why this song, Hallelujah, is so powerful, because that is our experience. Our hallelujah is often so broken. It so often doesn't live up to the expectations that we know should be true of us. And that's why that song is so gripping. It pulls us in because we say, yes, that's me. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's what we feel. And that's why the psalm is, is so exposing. We're called to praise and adore God from the very, very depths of our being, but the reality is very different. Our hallelujah is broken, it's half-hearted, it's sometimes only a whisper, if any at all. And so how do we, what do we do with that? What do we do with these feelings? Well, this brings us to our focus when we think about what our focus should be as we look at this psalm. Uh, years ago, Tim Keller was preaching, a pastor in New York. He was teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and he commented during the sermon uh, somewhat offhandedly that since adoration in the Lord's Prayer comes before asking for your daily bread, that we need to spend time in our prayers thanking and praising God before we get to our grocery list. He's offering that as, as a model for our prayers. Now, one woman in his congregation really took this to heart. And a couple of weeks later, 
uh, she related to Tim what a difference that had made in her prayer. She said this. She said, before I would run right to my prayer list, and the more I went through all the problems and needs, the more anxious and burdened I would get. Now I've started spending time thinking about how good and wise God is and how many prayers he's answered of mine in the past and when I get to my own needs, now I find I can put them in his hands and I feel the burden coming off of me rather than on me. And that's why I think Psalm 146 is a good model for us. It's a good guide for us. They teach us if we're willing to learn, the, the psalm shows us that praise flows when we focus on God and focus on who he is and focus on him and not our circumstances. Now notice what we see here in the psalm. Uh, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Now notice this verse uh, who keeps faith forever. Notice verse 6 there. It's, it's almost like the very center of the psalm. Now, often in the psalms, what you'll find is that the way the psalmist constructs the song is they'll often put the core theme idea at the very center of the psalm. And you have it listed on your, your paper there. You can see that that line, that, that God's faithfulness is at the very center, at the very core of the psalm. And I think what the psalmist is trying to tell us, it's that's where our focus needs to be. It needs to be centered on God. The focus, our focus is easily distracted. That's part of what the psalmist is showing us here. Notice what the psalmist exhorts us to, not, in verse 3, put our trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there's no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. You see, the psalmist makes it very clear that we have a choice, that we go through life putting our trust in someone or something. Now, many Christian uh, writers and pastors will say, this is our condition as human beings. Uh, you might, instead of putting trust put worship there, that all of us are worshiping beings, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you come to church regularly or not, you are a being that was created for worship. And so the Bible shows us that you're either going to worship the creation, someone or something in the creation, or you're going to worship God. You're either going to trust in princes, or you're going to trust in God, the creator of heaven and earth. And what the psalmist is simply telling us is, if you trust in princes, you, you're going to fail. It, the prince, princes are mortals, they're human beings, they're going to die. They can't hold the load of your trust in whatever you're trusting in. And so here in the psalm, by princes, basically the psalmist is talking about influential, powerful people. So the psalm is saying, listen, you as a human being are going to be tempted to put your faith and trust in powerful people, in influential people. Now, for us as Christians, it might be putting your trust in a certain author or maybe a pastor or some other Christian leader. And how many of you have done that 
maybe in your past church experience, and you've been disappointed. Let me tell you, if you're putting your trust in me, or Robin, or any of the other leaders in the church here, we will disappoint you. And the psalmist is saying, don't put your trust in princes. Put your trust in God alone, because only God will remain faithful. Faithful in his character, faithful in his actions, faithful in all the things that he does. And I'll notice how specific the psalmist is. And I think this is important for us when we think about how do we become people who can praise the Lord. I think it's taking the time to be specific about the ways God has shown his faithfulness. Notice the psalmist in verse 7 through 9 gives all these specific ways that God shows his faithfulness. He shows himself to be a God of justice. Notice he executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. He loves the righteous. He watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Notice the ways that God shows his faithfulness. Very specifically, the psalmist recounts all the while focused on God and his character and his actions. Now, what's fascinating, I think, and interesting and and very powerful is when we look at this description of who God shows mercy and compassion and grace to, If we were looking at God as a spectator and noticing his actions like we might another human being, maybe you see somebody on the street help the homeless or or do a kind act or, or somebody else maybe is a foster parent to some other kid. You might look at that person and you might praise them and you might say, Wow, they are an amazing person. They are doing these incredible things. They, they, they deserve my admiration and my adoration because they're, they're such a wonderful person. That is, not, that is not how we are to see God. We are not bystanders and spectators watching God treat the, the hungry and the prisoners and, and the the fatherless in this way. We are to see ourselves in that category. We are to see ourselves as the prisoners, as the blind, as the oppressed. And we are to praise God, not because he served others in this way, but because he served us in this way. See, that is when the power of the psalm really hits home, when when you can see yourself in these categories and you can praise God, not because he does this for others, but that he has done it for you. That is when praise begins to sing in your hearts, when you allow yourself to be vulnerable, to see yourself in your your brokenness and your woundedness, to see that this is us that God has served And we see that in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said he came to serve not the the healthy, but those who are sick. And we see in Luke 4, Jesus quoting Isaiah, who is referring to, I think in many ways, the psalm perhaps is referring to Isaiah's prophecies, where Jesus reads from the book of Isaiah in the synagogue, 
He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight of the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You see, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this psalm. Jesus lived this and we can see God in action in the person of Jesus Christ. And praise can begin to flow from our hearts when we see that he came to serve us. But until you come to that place of brokenness, praise will not be able to ring in your hearts. When you don't see the ways that Jesus has bought your freedom in his death on the cross, God in the flesh You know, so often when we think about what keeps us from praising other people, what keeps us from praising our kids, or what keeps us from maybe praising our friends or other family members, is so often we are focused on the the negatives. We are focused on the things that they do wrong. We're focused on the ways they don't measure up to our expectations. And so often negativity flows out of us. But when we look at Jesus, there are no negatives There might be negatives and he's not working the way we want him to. But when we read the stories of the Gospels and we see how Jesus loved and we see how Jesus sacrificed, we see how Jesus served, we can't help but praise. We cannot help but admire who he is. And that's what the psalm draws us to as Christians, to think of Christ, to think of the ways that he has fulfilled this psalm. And so our focus needs to be there. And as it continues to be drawn there, we will begin to see our hearts begin to be drawn to praise. And now finally, our future. Our future. Not only is this psalm exhorting us to praise God today, this this psalm is a signpost for our future you know, I think of, of the book of Revelation in, in those visions that John had in Revelation. He has a picture of heaven and, he, and we see the multitudes praising God, praising God like the psalmist is talking about here in, in Psalm 146. And what we find when we analyze the entire book of the Psalms, I mentioned this last week, is These are intended to be songs of praise, but what we find is there are more songs of lament in the 150 psalms than there are psalms of praise. And I think if any of us who have lived long enough would say, yeah, that makes sense because life is hard. Life is full of suffering. It would make sense that there are more songs of lament than songs of of praise. But what we find in the book is as we work through the 150 psalms, as we get towards the end of the book, it transitions to only songs of praise. That's all you'll find towards the very end. In fact, the last five psalms, starting at 146 through 150, All of them begin and end with hallelujah. All of them. It's almost, one way it was described, it's almost as if the book of Psalms is like a ramp. 
And as you go, go through the Psalms, you have the valleys, but as you get towards the end, it, it starts to ramp up and you are ramping up towards praise. And I believe it is pointing us to our future. It is pointing us to that day when there will be nothing but praise. Because we will see God face to face. We will see him in his majesty and in his glory. And we will not be able to do anything else but say hallelujah. Now C.S. Lewis, he has a little book on the Psalms. It's pretty powerful. He talks about the disconnect that we experience between this call to praise and, 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 and the way life beats us up. Uh, but what he describes Regarding a worship service, he says a worship service is more, uh, it, it's like a musician who's tuning his instrument. Now, when a, when a musician tunes his instrument, there isn't much delight in tuning your instrument, is there? The delight comes in, that, in the anticipation of what's to come. When a musician is tuning their instrument, you know what's about to happen. The symphony, the orchestra, the music, the beauty, the experience. And the tuning, the duty involved in tuning points us to the delight of the song itself. And C.S. Lewis uses that to describe our worship in this life, that in many ways it is a duty. You come on Sunday morning and you praise God, but it feels a lot like duty. There may not be delight in it, in other words. And what Lewis is saying is that's okay. Because this hard work of the now is preparing you for what's to come. You're, you're preparing and tuning your hearts to that day, that day that we anticipate when we will praise God truly from our hearts, that future to come. Christopher Ash, in describing this psalm and in the final psalms of the book of, of, of the last that I mentioned, he said, isn't it interesting when you think about how these psalms were, were likely written after the exile? If you know the story of Israel, after they had come back from Babylon and they may were trying to rebuild Jerusalem, that was a terrible time in the life of Israel. There, there was, you know, the temple was, was a pretty pitiful shadow of what it was in Solomon's day. They had no king, they had no land, there was corruption in the priesthood. There wasn't much evidence that God was faithful. And yet, these psalms of praise point us to praise. And, and what Christopher Ash says is that praise, it's often not an overflow of our experience, but an overflow of our faith. And so you're, here's the challenge. This is why the psalm is so exposed. Because your circumstances are pretty horrible right now, perhaps. And, and yet, you're called to praise the Lord, not out of your experience, but out of your faith. A faith that may not be realized right now, today, but is pointed towards the future. A future experience. And that is the invitation. The invitation is for you to experience that now. 
for you to participate in that now. I'll end with this, this illustration uh, from Wonder Woman, <laughs> the movie. I don't know if you saw the movie, um, but I felt like there was a very Christ-like moment in the film when Wonder Woman is with her companions and they're, and they're, they're on their way. It's in World War I. Uh, they're on their way to this town to get the bad guys. And there's this moment when they're in the ditch. You know, if you're familiar with World War I, right? They have the ditches. The two sides are in no man's land. No man's land was that space in between where the Germans were and where the Allies were. That It was no man's land because no one wanted to go in that space because if you did, you were done for. Because both sides were just dug in. And, and if you tried to attack the other side, you'd get mowed down by machine gun fire. And so as Wonder Woman and her companions are, are going along the ally uh, ditch, there's at one point where, you know, she wants to go and, and get, the, get the bad guy, get the Germans. You know, she, she wants to go get them. And, and the, the ally soldiers like, you know, you can't do that. No one does that. We just need to, you know, keep our eyes focused on what we need to do. We need to go forward. In other words, everybody was too scared to go in that no man's land. And, and she says, no, that's not me. That's not what I do. And you see this moment in the film where she, she goes into no man's land and she goes towards the Germans. And at one point she has her shield and she's taking this gun, this machine gun fire. And what happens? All the other soldiers who are so afraid to go into no man's land, they follow her. And as I was watching that scene, I could not help but think of Jesus. Please don't write me up as heretical if I say Jesus is like Wonder Woman. <laughs> but I couldn't help but see Jesus. He goes into this no man's land on our behalf. He leads us. When we are too afraid and we are broken and, and the cost seems too much, Jesus goes, he leads us, and he calls us to follow him. And he's calling you to follow him in the praise of God, your Father, just as he did. And that's our, that's our calling this morning, and that's what we can celebrate. That it's not an exhortation to make you feel guilty. That you can praise God in the knowledge that Jesus is the one who has done it for you. And you have the freedom to follow him today. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are coming together as your people, desperate wanting this psalm to be a reality in our lives and we feel so weak, we feel so inept, we feel unable to do it. And so we worship at you and thank you that you have done it and that we can walk in the freedom of that. And as we prepare to take the supper this morning, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your words of comfort we want to hear your words of love and encouragement that speak to us, that renew us, that inspire us, and that revive us, Jesus.
Meet us. Use us, Jesus. We love you. Amen.